This is Reedy Jane, Chief Storyteller at Gozen, and you're listening to Dear Anxiety. Are you wondering where Ed is? Ed, where are you? Don't worry, we will be returning with a fresh episode of Dear Anxiety next week. But today we have a treat for you. I did an incredible interview with Dr. Tamar Chansky during an event that we held called the Resilient Child Summit. And we're going to be playing that interview for you today. Dr. Chansky is a psychologist dedicated to helping children, teens, and adults overcome anxiety. She's gifted and she's about to share with you lots of tools to help your kids. If you guys like this interview, it's part of a bundle of interviews that we did during the Resilient Child Summit, and you can learn more about those at resilientchildsummit.com. But for now, please sit back and relax. Listen to Dr. Chansky as she shares some wonderful tips for taking charge of anxiety and helping your child get off the worry track. I am like a kid in a candy store today because I am so incredibly honored to introduce to you one of my sheroes in this field, Dr. Tamar Chansky. Oh my goodness. Your books have changed my life. I know they have changed the life of millions of others. So for those of you who don't know, tut tut, (laughs) Dr. Chansky is a psychologist. She's dedicated to helping children, teens, and adults overcome anxiety and make the mind a safer place to live. Isn't that beautiful? Dr. Chansky says, for nearly two decades, I've been immersed in the world of anxiety treatment teaching people powerful strategies to help them find their own anxiety cure and move far beyond the limits anxiety can impose. Working with patients as young as three to as old as grandparents, I found just how powerful we all can be in making a difference in the quality of our lives when we have good information about what's going on in our minds. That is amazing. She's the author of many, many books on the subject, including two of my favorites, Freeing Your Child from Anxiety and Freeing Your Child from Negative Thinking. If I had a drum, I would roll it right now, but I don't, so I'm going to say, woohoo! Welcome, Dr. Tamar Chansky. Thank you for being with us. Rini, it is so, such my honor and pleasure to talk to you today. I mean, I see I'm getting teary. We can't do that. Of course we can do that. We can, we can. Here we are, we're doing it. So I want to start somewhere with a question that we get from a lot of parents. You know, they reach out to us and they say, I don't know if it's anxiety or not. And as you say in your books, fear is a normal part of development, right? It protects us. It helps us survive. There are phases and milestones that kids go through. So in early childhood, they could be experiencing separation anxiety, and this would be a phase that's quote unquote normal that they would pass through, right? So I wonder if there's a way, and it might not be able to be done in a, you know, in a sound bite, but if you can tell us what are the hallmarks of anxiety? When does a parent know if it's going beyond something that's developmentally appropriate? Right. That's a great question. And I think all, you know, parenthood is, we're, we're working on our own mastery and we're filled with doubt. And that's just, that is the normal state of what it means to be a parent, probably at whatever stage. I, I you know, I have a child in her 20s, so I, I can still say that I feel that way sometimes. 
Um, but what you're looking for, so understanding that anxiety it happens, fear happens, anxiety happens in that gap between a child kind of learning about something and they're mastering it. So I like to give the example, um, a very memorable story to me that I was at the aquarium in Baltimore a number of years ago and in the bathroom stall and in the stall next to me was a mom and a little girl and the mom was saying, you know, we're going to go see the sharks after this. And the girl burst into tears because her idea was that she was going to encounter a shark. (laughs) She's getting in the tank. (laughs) Understandably, she was upset about that. Um, because she didn't understand yet the idea that that was going to be safely in a, you know, safely away in a, in a um, tank that, that she would, you know, be able to, to look from a, from a distance and enjoy potentially. And a lot of, you know, the fears sort of follow that model that kids, they encounter a dog. They don't understand that the dog isn't trying to do something to hurt them. They're excited to see them. They're, you know, barking, they're jumping. So what the reason why I start with that idea, Rini, is that that means that our job as parents is to help kids gain mastery through talking about things, through exposure or experience with things. Kids are afraid of the dark. That's a normal part of their development because they don't, you know, they don't understand how that works. So we don't shut out the lights and, and go away, but we hold our children and we peek in to the dark. And with our support, we help them to see what it's like. Maybe we talk in a funny voice, tell some jokes, you know, do things that help them to see that this, by our being there with them, this is safe too. Mm-hmm. And so this is a very long-winded uh, answer to your very good question that that is a process. And when parents are seeing that that process is not kind of moving along, mm-hmm. then instead of the child getting reassurance from the parent's explanation about things or reassurance from the parent showing them, showing the child that this situation is safe, and instead, what's happening is a child's getting more upset, more avoidant, more clingy. You know, it's kind of spreading from one thing to the next. Which speaks to the question, well, I'm reassuring them, you know, constantly. Yeah. And I'm reassuring them. And it's just, it's almost exacerbating it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so one is, if you don't have, if you don't have a kind of a way forward that is happening over the course of you know, let's say in the spirit of a month that things are kind of moving, moving through, then that's one red flag that you need a, you know, you need a new plan because your child's having trouble making use of the good information experience that you are offering, uh, offering them. And yes, reassurance is, it's wonderful when a little bit goes a long way what we find with kids with anxiety is that they don't really benefit from that reassurance and they need it. It just expires <laughs> over and over. It has to keep yes. being Yes. It lasts like, Another first it lasts, a, you know, uh, right. maybe an hour, then it lasts like 10 minutes 
<laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those would be, you know, those would be, um, you know, two red flags. Certainly if other things that a child had mastered, they're having difficulty with, they start to have difficulty being apart from you or having difficulty at bedtime, just another sign that they may be, you know, really struggling with what's going on. So if you had two kids sort of side by side and one was more anxious and the other one was not, if you and they were both sort of fearing the dark, right? And so if you walk the one that wasn't experiencing anxiety, you um, reassured them, if you gave them experience, you made them feel safe, they would be able to sort of pass through that right. fear then. Okay. Yes. Whereas yeah. the child who is more anxious, right. it wouldn't, right, get it wouldn't resolve. Organized, you know, agitated. I think I gave that example in um, the Freeing Your Child from Anxiety book of two kids going to swim lessons mm-hmm. and, you know, both, both kids being anxious about that new situation that they don't know anything about one child being able to kind of go in holding the parent's hand, see that the teacher's nice, sit on the edge of the pool one day, kind of work their way in to, you know, to the situation, another child just really retreating and not not benefiting from that gradual exposure. So more needs to happen. It's confusing. Can I tell you one yeah. question that parents will often ask, and I, <laughs> I get an allergic reaction to it. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But they'll say, I just need to know, do I force my child to... Oh, yeah. Blah, That's blah, the blah. question. Yeah. Yes. Should and I, I, and I, I push and throw them into the deep end right. literally, right? Right. And I say, okay. you know, I'm not trying to avoid your question, but listen, where I'm going with this is that if you help your child to see the situation differently, mm-hmm. fact check, we'll sort of get into another subject here, fact check the unreliable thoughts that the child's having about the situation and help them see that they can approach the situation gradually, you don't have to force them. Mm-hmm. You, you've turned that thing that, you know, seemed dangerous for them to do into something that is safer, but, they, but is new to them, then they'll walk along with you. So it's yes. not, yeah. It actually not, is a very good answer to the question, because it isn't about grabbing their arm, about, you know, nudging them in a loving way. And and we're not saying that we're not loving as parents, right? But in a very loving way, you could be doing it. Like you are, you know, holding a strong line. You are going to this thing because it will help you get over your fear or your anxiety about it. Um, So I think it's a beautiful answer to approach it in a different way. And you touched on inaccurate thoughts. And I have to tell you, Dr. Chansky, if there were, if I had a time machine and I had five minutes with a younger version of myself, that would be the one thing that Mm. I would teach young Rini, that Mm. not everything that you think is true. Right. And that you talk about a notorious inaccuracy in thoughts Mm -hmm. when it comes to anxiety. And I think this is such a profound idea that we we can't skip so let's let's talk about that what yeah. does it mean yeah. how does that come about what do you do about it yeah so how i um how i look at this whether i'm working with kids or adults what the message is 
people say, you know, how do I stop these thoughts? How do we mm. know? How do I get my child to not feel this way? And I say, okay, backing up. What we're all doing at any point is changing our relationship with our anxiety. So, you know, young Rini, young Tamar, mm-hmm. <laughs> any of us, the thing is to know that we, that the, the worry thoughts we have, the fear thoughts we have are just one feed going in our minds. And we're the executive up here deciding what do we want to make of that thought? What do we want to do with it? Do we want to listen? Do we, you know, what do we want to hire? What do we want to fire? Is it's it not right? commanding you. Right. It's okay. not, I mean, it may really sound like it. And one way that I love working on this with kids is doing role plays where I'll say, you know, okay, do you want to be worried? And I'll, you know, and I'll be you or who's going to be your parent. And, you know, we give a chance for kids to say what the worry sounds like, like you can't do that. And I, yeah. And then they see, us, you know, someone else voicing that and they can see it just doesn't fit. Worry shouldn't have that authority. So being able to see so can that. We do, can we do that really quickly so people can see that? So if I can, should I be the child and, you, <laughs> and you're yourself? <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm really worried about going to school on the, you know, every time I go, I don't know who to, who to hang out with in the hallway before class starts. And it makes me really uncomfortable and I just don't want to do it. It just really worries me. I think about it a lot. Okay. So that's, that's you doing that. Okay. So and that's I'm me explaining say. what my worry is. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Rini, I'm going to amplify that a bit. Okay. And you, you tell, you know, you tell me what you want to do with what you hear. Okay. okay. I am the, I can't go to school because I'm the only one who is feeling this way. I'm different from everybody. Everybody else just feels totally comfortable walking down that hall. Yeah. They somehow they know who they're going to see and they're like movie stars and they know exactly what they're going to, you know, how they're going to respond and what they're going to do. And yeah, it must just be me who, you know, is having these problems who doesn't know what to say because, you know, of course it would just be me. So you, you kind of bring some, Levity to the situation. Are you in my teenage brain just now? <laughs> I, I say to kids, actually, when with teenagers, with those kind of, I won't call it social anxiety because it's normal, you know, it's just part of life. I'll say social fears or just navigating those years. I'll say, look, what I want you to do is observe. Don't make any changes in your life for two days. You know, don't put pressure on yourself to start talking to people or whatever. I want you to be an observer and just watch how it happens for other people Mm. because part of anxiety is excessive self-focused attention, technical term, but it just means we we can't get out of our own heads and we're totally critical of ourselves and we're not seeing what's going on around us. So Mm -hmm. I ask kids to look to see in the cafeteria in the hallway so they can see, Oh, you know, other people are having awkward silences other, you know, not everybody's fantastic at conversation. It helps to adjust the expectations they have so they can kind of find a place for themselves to, you know, experiment knowing that 
they're just as prepared as anybody else's. It also sounds like they're really fact-finding and collecting some evidence, right? Like that's mo- a little bit more objective, perhaps, than the, the worried thoughts in their head yes. um, that could be used. So you talk about a two-track model of the brain, um, and I don't know if this would be a good time to jump into that, you can explain what that is. Yeah, yeah. So as I was saying before, this idea that worry is just one feed, and then there's, you know, there are others, there are other ways of looking at things. So for example, I was doing a role play the other day with a, I think it was a six-year-old, five or six-year-old, who had a lot of fears about going to the library at school, because library, which can be a wonderful thing for some kids because it's different every time. (laughs) It's not like math that you sit and you're, you know, you're doing those worksheets or whatever. Library is, you know, are we going to do a book? Are we going to hear a book? Are we going to search whatever it may be? And to this child that made him feel like he was, he, you know, was going to make a mistake. He couldn't understand things. He was really anxious about that. Mm. So the, you know, the lack of predictability for him. So we, again, we did a role play where um, we were talking about him going to the library and I was, and I asked him, what is worry? Now tell on your worry, just tell on worry. This is not about you. (laughs) Like as in tattletale on worry. Okay. Yes. Okay. What is worry telling you? Because it must be telling you something pretty, you know, pretty big to make you feel the way that you do. I, you know, I want to, I want to understand that, you know, and worry is saying, you're going to get everything wrong and you, you know, you can't do anything and you can't ask questions. You can't, you know, if you don't understand something, everybody else understands it, that kind of thing. So that's one track is the worry track. And then I said, you know, how that sounds pretty bad. And if I were thinking that I would feel scared too, but let me ask you this what do you think actually the librarian is thinking about you in the library or your teacher is thinking about you in the library? You know, oh, they want me to ask questions. If I, you know, if I don't know something, that's what school is about. What what happens when you ask questions? Are people barking? You know, no, people aren't, you know, so we get that other track going, the true track, which is what will actually happen. The, so worry we have the worry track, and then we have the true track. Yeah, and some I have kids name that themselves. What do you okay. want to call that other track? The good, tra- you know, they'll come up the truth, the good track, the real track, the happy track. Doesn't matter. Okay, Their involvement in that naming is really helpful for the process. It means something to them, and then you know we'll say switch tracks. is this really what do you want to choose you get to choose you get to choose really you get to choose yes you really get to choose not that those thoughts will you know disappear but you decide which track you want to listen to and then that one gets stronger so you talked about doing this in role play and not to get super technical but i i want parents to be able to practice at home. Mm-hmm. So when you were explaining the different tracks to the kids that you were, the child that you were working with, did he, did he do different voices or how does a role play work? Can you explain that? I, I will. And I just want to back up to connect yeah. with something else. So when we were talking earlier about the limits of reassurance, mm-hmm. this is an alternative for parents 
rather than there being the voice of reason. They are. Don't worry. (laughs) Always be. But they may be heard. That voice of reason may be heard better through a different way, through the child actually doing this themselves. So you're not withholding your reassurance, even if you know the library is going to be fine. You're not withholding that from your child, but you're thinking of a, a different way to access that information. So, you know, child- that's beautiful. Thank you. Cause parents get really uncomfortable if you tell them not to reassure their child. So like it's a knee jerk response. This is even better. This is that's even better. It's even better when a child reassures him or herself. So, you know, kid says, uh, you know, I can't go to schools. I'm really afraid of what's going to happen in the library. First thing parent says, what's worry telling you about it? You know, let's, you want to play it out. What's worry? Do you know what worry is saying? Or should I, here's another strategy that I like with little kids. I call it going fishing. <laughs> no, they love to go fishing. That sounds fun. <laughs> One of my favorite. When I get to go fishing, I just so, so happy. Um, but a lot of times younger kids, sometimes older kids will say, I don't know. I just don't feel, you know, I don't know what I'm thinking. I just, I'm scared. And so without introducing content that's going to, you know, plant ideas, you take sort of generic ideas that you may have heard your child say or common fears and you go fishing and you say, okay, you know, they say, I don't know, I just, I'm scared. You say, okay, so yeah, sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly you're afraid of. Let me go fishing and I'm going to put out an idea. And if I catch something, if I catch a fish, you tell me. Okay. So, you know, is it you're afraid you're going to be embarrassed about something? Yeah. No. Okay. I didn't catch a fish. You know, you're afraid that something's going to be hard for you. Hmm. Yeah. Is that a big fish, a medium sized fish, a little fish. So you just kind of, that's another way to get material from kids. Sometimes I just want to highlight in that, that it is, it's so beautiful because it's basically just a little game that's activating a playful side of your naturally child who's naturally activated in play anyway, right? Because you could just say those words without the fishing, right? You could just say, are you embarrassed about something? Right. You made it playful. You added some levity. It's a little bit lighter, you know, and it, and it really engages them. So what age range would you use something like that for? I will do that. I am not proud. I will do <laughs> What I'll do, I'll use From that. three to 97. <laughs> and then the teenagers, I'll say, you know, I, I am so campy. I have this thing that I do, you know, to drive you crazy, I'm warning you. But I do this with, you know, with younger kids, sometimes with the adults that I see, I'm just going to go fishing. And, you know, then the joke's on me. But still, sometimes with teenagers, too, or really any age, if you have done a good faith effort to guess, sometimes that loosens things up. Maybe you haven't guessed the right one, but they either they have pity on you, they see you're <laughs> they say you're struggling, <laughs> or that you know it does kind of help them to identify. It's not that, it's not that, but it is this. So it's just yeah. And the other thing that that strategy does is it really normalizes that. So it it normalizes that fears happen, and it also creates a nice distance between the child and the fear that distance helps them step into that space that where they could take charge of it. Mm. That's why 
Yes. I like to say, instead of what are you worrying about, which means the worry is kind of part of you, what do you do yes. about that? To say, what's worry telling you? So there's yes. you and there's a separate. This is so um, important. You're able to separate the two, right? It is not one in the same. Um, yeah. It is not who you are, your essence, your character. It's just something that you're experiencing that you can externalize and separate. I think that's so incredibly important. Um, you also talk about, I think, so, uh, something called downward dog, I remember, or down dog down. I'm like, it's either a yoga pose. <laughs> no, that would be awesome. <laughs> um, can well, okay. you explain that technique? I, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, um, one of the, okay, one of the things, I mean, I like to go on tangents, Rini, rein me in. I will, re- I will rein you in. I, I will I rein do. you in. I'm still going to bring you back to right. finish uh, tying up how to do the role playing and right. we'll okay. come back to that. Yeah, okay. I knew there was something, yeah. but <laughs> okay. the idea is that I want to, I want to find a way to explain all of this to kids that's not threatening to them. Mm-hmm. And so this is related to what I call long distance learning. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you know, let's say, so half the kids I see are afraid of dogs. Half the kids have dogs, love them. So with kids who, um, you know, have dogs and love them, I will use this way of teaching about the two track mind and anxiety management by talking about something that they're not afraid of. Okay. And that somebody else's. So um, that I will say, you know, when you see, when you see a dog, what does your mind tell you about it? That dog's so cute. You know, I want to wonder what the dog's name is. And I said, right. Okay, great. And you have a friend who's afraid of a dog, you know, afraid of dogs. Yes. What do you think their mind is telling them about the dog? And they'll guess, um, you know, it's going to jump on them or it's going to bite. And I'll say, right. Not right like that's going to happen because we both know that that's not, but right, that is what worry would probably tell them about it because worry tends to, you know, it's going to look for those kinds of things. So, but when you see a dog, because of what your mind is telling you, you feel good. And so your feet walk towards the dog. When your friend sees the dog, you know, sees a dog, their mind is telling them a very different story. And so they feel scared. And so their feet go the other way. Mm-hmm. what you know what changed there it's the same dog what's different it's the story that your mind is telling you about it so then I say okay can we apply that idea to what's going on with you that's beautiful um, so and you know some kids they whether they're afraid or not they might know that dogs bark at you know noises even though it might be the the uh, mail carrier or you know something like somebody coming to the door who's safe but the dog's making the mistake that's another long distance learn you're not saying I'm gonna you know you need to fix this <laughs> you're saying let's look at what happens to your friend and then apply that to you let's look at what happens with this dog <laughs> making a mistake because you know his worry brain is saying ah it you know it's, it's kind of amazing because you've put the you've given them the role of a teacher from the beginning, you know, to teach your friend, right? And yes, that's not the best way to learn. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So then it's long distance. They're not in the hot seat. They learn about the strategy. And then just as colleagues, 
who've just discovered something together, then we look and say, and I'll say, is there, you know, how do I you love it? Your partners. Yeah. yeah. To the thing that that's on your worry list. Cause everybody has a worry list. Mm, everyone has a worry list so we're uh let's let's just uh come back touch back quickly on the role playing and then we have so many this is amazing content packed um practical tools that i love that you don't actually have to go anywhere or get any props or buy anything you got your hands you can be the puppets you use yeah So when you're doing the two-track mind, you were talking about working with kids to role-play, and I'm guessing that this is, I mean, I know what role-playing is, but for those who are not familiar, um, perhaps using it, actually getting into the role of the worry track, right? So becoming that character. Right. And I ask your child, do you want to be worry? Do you want to be you? And then we'll switch. Got it. You have the person playing worry, you have the child and you have either the parent or a coach and let your child have control to say who's going to be who. And then they get to hear, it doesn't matter who's who, because they get to hear all the important things. What worries sounding like, how they feel afraid when worries talking to them, what the coach might say, don't listen. You know, they say that to, <laughs> not how it's turned out. You know, what do you want to do? Does that, if, and I'll say, if, if, you know, as the coach, if you were taking a test in school, are those the answers that the teacher would mark right? Or would the teacher take the red pen on worry and just mark all those answers wrong? Because you know that's not how it's going to, you know, again, they're seeing that from a distance. It's not that they are getting it wrong. Worry's getting it wrong. So if you are working with a child, and I, and I think that perhaps when you're working with a child as the psychologist it may, or a coach, or, you know, it might be a little bit easier, but if you're a parent and you're working with a child and you come up against resistance, right, to one of these techniques that you're trying to introduce, even if you're not doing it in a way like, no, we're going to learn a technique, right? Um, what is your suggestion to parents in terms of how far they try to push these things? Right. So I think this is a place where we haven't talked about empathy yet. Mm-hmm. And that this is a moment when if your child's like, I don't, you know, that's stupid, or I don't want to talk about it, or whatever, yeah. you don't, you're not, you can't help me. Yeah. That parents step into that place of just knowing that they're, this is just not what their child wants to be happening right now and say mm-hmm. that. This mm-hmm. is just not what you want to be doing right now, right? This mm-hmm. is not how you don't want to be having this problem to work on. You don't want me to be helping you. with It's just this is not how you want it to be going. When you, what you're working towards, Rini, is getting the nodding head. Yeah, my, my head's like, yes, Versus I'm the, nodding. <laughs> For those listening head. on audio, I'm, I'm nodding. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, that, yeah. that you want to step into that place of understanding and having compassion for your child's struggle. And by doing that, by w- being willing to step into that space, they may then kind of walk along with you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, gradually you say, after you say, I know this is just not how you want it to be. And maybe you think that this is going to be really hard or you just, it's, you know, you just don't, you don't think that it can be any different. I understand that. 
And it can be so hard for parents, right? Exactly what you're saying to feel powerless in a sense, to feel helpless, to feel like I want, I know that you, those of you listening might feel extreme frustration Mm -hmm. because you've been trying, right? And you love your child, no doubt, but you just want to help. And why won't they, you know, I get a lot of, my child doesn't want to do deep breathing. My child doesn't want to do this. They don't want to try this. Yeah. It helps to have a lot of different ideas to offer. Yes. Um, But still, like you said, you could have the best, you know, salesman, (laughs) all the different things you could do, but it may be that they, they just need you to understand that they don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And from that space, then you can move out of that to say, you know, yeah, you know, there are things that, I, I've learned about that I'd like to try with you, you know, that have helped me that have, you know, I, and you can do the soft sell to say, I don't know how this is usually what I do with, and it's true too. Do I know exactly? (laughs) I try to try to be (laughs) truthful, but you know, I don't know exactly how people are going to respond to the ideas that I'm saying to them, but I, but I do emphasize that and say, you know, yeah, I don't know. This might, you might like this, you might not like it, but we can see, this is how it would look. This is how it would look if you would do that. This is how it would look if you would do that. Yeah. There's something that you talk about in your book. You, I'm I'm just going to read this quote. Um, Anxious thinking, generally speaking, is characterized by an overestimation of magnification of risk and an underestimation of coping or coping ability. I think of coping ability. When I was young, talking about myself, I had this perception that I was not able to cope. And this, I believe, fed into a loop because I believed I wasn't able to cope, right? That I was worried I was labeled as a warrior and that I wasn't, and I didn't taste the success ever of you know, using a coping skill to overcome something. So I guess my question is, you know, if we don't give kids a taste of resilience and they have this perceived perception that, listen, I can't deal with this, I can't deal, it's overwhelming, then how do we convince them, right? Uh, For lack of a better word, how do we foster belief in their abilities to, to work on this when they're lacking the motivation or the belief that they can do it. Right. That's, yeah, that's, it's a very poignant experience of your, your own that you, that you just shared. And I would imagine, Rini, because you're sitting here, <laughs> you know, and how many thousands of people will be listening to this program because of the work that you've done that, you know, you had another voice that you found and you, you brought other skills to the situation to bring you where you are today. And that, you know, I'm sure it's painful in the time before that happens. Right. Yes. But so we try to accelerate that and bring that sense of mastery that kids have somewhere else to this situation. That's what nobody wants to be therapy. It's not like I want them, want kids to be like, woohoo. No, I want this, I call it a project. Kids do projects all the time. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe the project of learning how to tie their shoes, the project mm-hmm. of learning how to read. And this is also something for parents that because we have our own, you know, ambivalences about anxiety, you know, it's too painful because of our own experiences, whatever it may be, that we can, as much as we are, you know, a million percent on our children's side, it's also sometimes just painful to see them suffer. And we just wish that they, they wouldn't. And we don't want to work on it as a project either. Let's be honest, we would just like our kids to be coping with things. So we have that Mm. in common with our with our children. Yeah. But so working the same way we would work on tying your kids, you know, learning how to do that, that's going to be a project that's going to you got to work at consistently, very few kids get that like that. Mm. You know, similarly, this is something to be to be working on, but kids have been successful with lots of things. Kids have resilience in lots of other situations. I'm not an athlete at all. <laughs> I'm the opposite of that. A lot of kids will they'll they'll tell me the things that they do in sports, and we'll just we'll find or music, we'll find things video games anywhere where they have learned to persist. And that, that was Mm. an idea that I did uh, write about in the freeing your child from negative thinking book that I was here, you know, I was looking at all these kids playing video games in our culture and thinking, well, okay, they, how is it that, you know, they lose, but they keep playing, you know, they just keep playing and Yes. They don't feel defeated, right? right. They keep because going. Because the option of how to keep going is there. And mm-hmm. so we have to present those options to kids. They need to be able to see that, you know, there is such a thing as resetting, looking at this a different way, you know, relabeling, whatever it may be, making those ideas really visible or, or audible. You know, we do it ourselves. This is going to be a terrible day. I'm going to ruin this meeting. Hold on wait a second, just mm-hmm. because you overslept, <laughs> you know, that's my worry talking, you know, if, when kids see that, they're like, huh, it's really helpful. Why wouldn't we want to teach that like anything else? I think it's incredibly helpful. And I didn't have these skills when I was a kid and to, and to open up these ideas to a child really is the beginning of empowerment oh my goodness, I have a choice. I don't have to believe that voice. It's actually not fused, you know, inside of me. It's not part of who I am. Um, I think it's amazing. It's just, uh, and the work that you've put out in the world and that you're doing right now is amazing. Um, so speaking of fusion, there's something that you talk about in your books. Uh, I think it's called TLF, oh, Thought Likelihood Fusion. Yes. So this is a kind of magical thinking, right? So for example, if a child had a, a thought about their parents, so we work with kids, a lot of times they say, I have bad thoughts about my parents, that something's going to happen. Maybe they're going to get in an accident. And I feel like that because I'm thinking it, it's going to happen. Right. So sorry. That's okay. The universe is ringing for TLF. I I put the cats out of the way. You know, that I was like, okay, what do I do to get ready? Don't worry. Scratching at the door. They're so curious about this. I forgot about the phone. I, I would love to hear a little bit more about TLF, but I think that my question in this is that, you know, a takeaway in your books for me, again, is that 
your thinking can be really inaccurate. But with TLF, I'm also feeling that my feelings can be inaccurate as well, right? So how do we, how do we move from TLF to more accurate thinking, one? Um, and the second question is, how do we teach kids? Because we're, you know, in a lot of ways, sending them the message, like your thinking can't be maybe not so accurate. Maybe your feelings are not so accurate. How do they find that inner voice to trust Right. Where who do they listen to then? Right. So part of it, and and I think that this is a really important distinction that we're not talking about kids not trusting their their feelings and their thoughts. But this is why my website is called Worry Wise Kids. It's really Mm -hmm. about teaching kids how to be smart about their worry, so that it's they need to know some of the tricks that thoughts and feelings and worry can play. And with the um, TLF, the thought likelihood fusion, you hear an ambulance and you think of your, you know, your parent and you think, oh my gosh, that means something's, you know, something's happened to my parent. It's really helpful to introduce, well, we're really, we're trying to teach kids about how the world works, how the world doesn't work Mm -hmm. and, um, and how they work and, don't work. Um, so with, with that uh, example specifically, I teach kids about the power of suggestion. And I say, because we, we want kids to know that the intensity of their feeling isn't always a good measure of the reliability of a thought in a situation. Beautiful. So it's like a, not so, a good barometer, right? So here's a get ready, everybody. <laughs> Here's a, an icky example of teaching um, power suggestion that I'll say, okay. Okay, I'm prepared. We're all, we're all happy. We're, you know, having this great conversation. We're feeling fine. And then someone brings up the word lice. Oh, yeah. Just got the right. creepy crawlies. Thank Just you. exactly. I'm so sorry to disturb our nice <laughs> heads itching. We're having, but yeah, you, you want to start, you, you start itching. What happened? Two seconds before I said that idea, it wasn't in our minds and our bodies were feeling fine. Mm-hmm. That's the power suggestion. Mm-hmm. That's how we work. So that's a trick. It's, you know, you think of something like something bad happening to somebody in your family, of course, your feelings are going to start to respond, not because it's true. It's, you know, the phone maybe is on the hook, but it's not plugged into the wall. You know, it's not really plugged into reality, but you're having those reactions. So you know, again, that's not how the world works. And you want to respond with the power of suggestion idea. Um, And little kids even can can understand that you can, you know, maybe they don't know about lice, but you say, you know, if I'm talking about your, you know, your foot is so itchy right now, you're, you know, your foot and you just you keep going with that. It's like, ah, that you just this is how we're built. It's the power of suggestion. But that's it such a good example because I think that that changed. works on everyone. That would make, I bet everyone listening to this is itching their heads right now. I know. I'm sorry. so sorry. <laughs> you gave a trigger warning, so that was good. <laughs> the power of suggestion can work the other way, but not as strongly. It's just how we're wired. Um, I want to talk about belonging. I feel like that it 
is an undercurrent of a lot of the work that we do, but maybe we don't talk about it in, you know, so explicitly. And I really want to. I feel like there are a lot of kids out there, no matter what the stats are, you know, now the stats are showing this that one in three children by the age of 18, nearly one in three children, I think it's 31.9%, will uh, qualify or meet the criteria for an anxiety disorder by 18, right? It's unbelievable. So it's every third person. Um, but even with that, a lot of times, this is an experience that makes you feel very alone. Mm-hmm. very disconnected in lots of ways. I think for lots of kids and lots of parents, yeah. I don't know what I'm going through. My goodness. I, I wish you know the, knew the struggle. It was just to get on the bus, you know, get the kids on the bus in the morning and the kids are feeling, looking at the other kids feeling, you have no idea what's easy for you is so incredibly difficult for me. Mm-hmm. And there's a disconnection of sorts in that, right? Just in those thoughts. Mm-hmm. So when our kids are experiencing this, both for kids and parents, how do we cultivate a greater sense of belonging and connectedness to other humans really? Yeah. That's so such an important question. And my first reaction was that I think for parents and kids, part of what also can happen is just feeling alienated from yourself and from the things that you enjoy. So Mm -hmm. even almost before connecting outward with other people, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's, you know, part of the recovery or just the, the process of caring for yourself is kids will say, yeah, I used to paint, but I don't, I don't do that anymore. I used to listen to music. I don't do that anymore. So we might start with just sort of connecting with a life, you know, source within them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That helps them to feel some, you know, more alive, the more alive they're feeling, the more likely that they feel that they have something to offer that they want to connect with other people. Um, But, you know, the other thing is that I, whenever I'm talking with a, a person, again, regardless of the age, I'll say, look, this feels like this is a Rini issue. Yeah. This is not a Rini issue. This is mm-hmm. a human being issue mm-hmm. because you are connected. You know, the things you have things that you're working on. Everybody has things that they're working on too. It might not be right now. It might not be as much with kids. I always say, you wouldn't know looking at your friends, but the moms, if, if they were to, if they were to talk or the dads, um, you know, they, they would, everybody's got that worry list. Everybody has it. So part of it is just really bringing them back into the, their own fold of that. They're, you know, they're a person like anyone else. And then actually um, I often uh, have, I call the stairs of learning, but this is how I do a hierarchy of helping kids to get back to if worry weren't bothering them, what are mm-hmm. the things they want to be able to do? Here's mm-hmm. where they are now. Here's where they want to be. What are the steps they need to take to get from where they are to where they want to be? And some of those steps will be reconnecting with a friend. Um, and what they find, again, we do the fact checking, they're afraid that it's not going to be fun, because they're going to be in their heads worrying about things, or maybe their friend has changed because they haven't been playing. 
we get those things out on the table, that's one track, that's the worry, but then what are the things that they really think, you know, are more likely to happen? That you get in the swimming pool, it doesn't feel good, after a few, you know, minutes, what happens, you warm up. So just trusting that it's worth it to get through that that fear to the part where, you know, you're happy to be with your friends. They're, they've missed you. They're happy to be with you. That's a wonderful, wonderful answer. Thank you for that. Do you get kids and parents that really focus on the why? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to my child? Am I the cause of it? Or the kid saying, why me? You know, and how much do you, so we can talk a little bit about the why, but how much do you focus on the why? Not in your work. Much. Not very much. Not <laughs> yeah. very much. I mean, I'm happy to, to, to do that. Again, if, if that's very meaningful to a person, I want that to be finished for them because yeah. we forget things until we finish them. Yeah. So that is an open, you know, a blank on a answer sheet and it's not filled in. We're going to keep going back to it until we fill it in. So I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. Again, um, you know, I'll talk about that this is human being. Again, I really do, even though I don't want to minimize the fact that their, you know, anxiety disorders are on the continuum, very significant um, and, and something to, you know, that people really have to address. It's very challenging versus someone who has some uh, more situational fears that come up. But it's a matter of degree in a lot of ways, because again, we are wired to be on the lookout for trouble. Yeah. And part of our humanity. (laughs) Right. And we wouldn't be here if that were not the case. But we the, the brain, the worry brain can be overprotective. That's the part you know, that we just want to help kids, adults to get back to the place where it's uh, just reasonable precautions. That's what, that's what they're, you know, what they're trying to do. That's what treatment is about. Dr. Chansky, how did you come to this work? Was it something that you experienced uh, yourself or was it just happenstance? I'm just curious. Well, I think life's always a combination of those things. <laughs> I, I was thinking about when you were talking about if you could go back. For me, I, there's a joke in my family that um, I my made my little brother rich by paying him to... I'm sorry, kill spiders. Uh, (laughs) Now I don't. I I liberate them out into the world. But at the time, yeah, because I was so, I was so afraid. And my dad, I remember him (laughs) saying to me, you can't scream like that unless there's something really terrible, you know? (laughs) And what like I the blood curdling scream. Yes. yes. My yes. wish is because, and I, you know, this is what I, what I do and I, why I love cognitive behavior therapy. So the, the second part, you know, was it something that I just kind of fell into? I think I, I really resonated with this way of approaching things because it is so practical and powerful. 
is that, you know, if I'd had a spider in a jar, <laughs> and I could have the spider in the jar across the room with holes for it to, you know, live and be able to name it, learn about it, kind of understand it without feeling like I have to protect myself from it. That fear, you know, I tell kids I am a recovering bug phobic, <laughs> but I've had to, you know, I've had to take care of that. But it just it would have been so much easier if I'd kind of known that there were things that I could do to master that situation, to, you know, to challenge the way that I understood that situation. Um, so it was, that's, just, it was meant to be. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I want to tell you guys that there are a lot of books out there on anxiety relief, on you know how what to do with your negative thinking, on how to you know change your thoughts and and change your life. But Dr. Chansky's books are very well written as well. <laughs> you know, not every book has the engagement with the writing. And your writing is beautiful. You are, you're an really? excel at oral Thank communication. You so your writing is beautiful. It really is. I enjoy reading your books. I'm like, oh, I'm going home to read some, some pleasurable reading right now. I just want to read something, you know, in our closing that you wrote that just, I don't know, it speaks to me. So you said, when you understand the tricks the mind can play, you can approach the ups and downs of life with competence and clear thinking rather than get detoured by the unreliable story where he tells you. You get to choose, such a powerful word, which version of your life story you're listening to. Take charge of anxiety by downgrading its significance and reconnecting with your voice of reason. Thank you so much for the work that you do, Dr. Chansky. And where can we find more of it if we want to? First of all, Rini, thank you so much. And I'm going to tell my family because I torture them with my, with my writing. <laughs> We've had many other children, which are the books that, that I have written. And uh, there's some sibling rivalry there, right? Um, but I truly, I really appreciate that. And um, my website, uh, www.tamarchansky.com has blog posts about lots and lots of topics around parenting. The books are available there. Um, Worrywisekids.org is also our educational website. More information there. Wonderful. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to another chat very soon. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.